great to have you here. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to Romans 6. We're going to end up there. We're going to be there. We were there last week, and we're going to still be there for a while. We're looking at killing sin. And so hopefully, maybe you talked about some of this. Uh, we've gone through the lessons. We, we began with acknowledging there's a spiritual battle. Uh, there are going to be temptations because we have the world, the flesh, and the devil. And there's going to be testings from God. You're in a battle and you're either on God's side or the devil's side. And if you're on God's side, we have a role to play in that. And then we talked about accepting the ground rules of temptation. That God is always good. If you're struggling with habitual sin, God's goodness is not the problem. And we need to take responsibility for our sin and realize that deliverance is possible in Christ. We have to put our past where it belongs. Often our struggle is because we're living in the past instead of living in the presence of God's deliverance. And then focus on God's ultimate purpose. It's to multiply image bearers. He wants you to enjoy His presence. And in his presence, he wants to transform you into Christ's likeness. And so how do you put this into practice? Uh, We've been looking at God's gracious oxymoron, live the crucified life. You're dead and nevertheless, I live. And so that's, that's what we looked at last week. And we looked at two key facets of it. First of all, we live the crucified life in a person. It's relational. It's, it's a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's what he's done, not what we have to do to earn victory. We live from his victory. And we looked at Galatians 2. And so I have this verse up. Let's read this out loud together, okay? Because the crucified life in Christ is so summarized in Galatians 2.20. So let's read that together. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Now, two things that I pointed out from this verse And from the whole idea of the crucified life is substitution and identification. Okay? And I have been crucified with Christ. There's your identification. There's your union with Christ. And then it ends with who loved me and gave himself up what? For me. There's the substitution. Those are the two big key ideas. If you have... You have the possibility and and the reality of victory if you are identified with the victor and realizing that your identification is based on substitution. He has done for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And so those ideas need to be really firmly planted. And then secondly, we talked about living the crucified life with a picture being baptized into Christ. And that's where we came to Romans 6. So Galatians 2.20 is pictured in the act of baptism. 
all right, into Christ Jesus. So look at your Bibles. You're there in Romans. Let's look at Romans 6. Last week, we looked at the picture. We looked at verses 1 through 5. So let's, let's look at it. It's very tightly logic, and it began with a question. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? If grace is greater than my sin, is it okay to just keep sinning because grace will cover it all? And he says the answer, verse 2, may it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Not a bad question to start every day with. How can I who has died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us that have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. And we said that word baptism hasn't been translated. What's it mean? It means immersion. It means to be identified with, so immersed and placed into something that you are united with it. Therefore, verse 4, we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. That's the goal of this chapter, to walk in newness of life. For if you have become united with him, and there's where the Bible defines what baptism. Okay, you're talking about this baptism. It's not translated. It's just a Greek word. What's it mean? What's it mean? There it is. We have become united with him in the likeness of his death. Certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. And I have there in your notes the breakdown that we went through of answering that question. I like what John Stott says. Paul's answers to his critics is that God's grace not only forgives sin, but what? Delivers us from sinning. And that's a good thing to look at one another and remind, hey, you're not, if you are in Christ, you're not only forgiven, you have been delivered from sinning. Good stuff, right? That's what we need to realize. And too often when we think about the gospel, we just think about our sins being forgiven and not being liberated and delivered from sinning. And so how do you do that? That's what we want to talk about this morning. How do you put this crucified life in the person of Christ, pictured in being identified with him, uh, by the Spirit when we're born again and pictured in our water baptism, buried in the likeness of His death, raised in the likeness of His resurrection to walk in newness of life. How do you do this? Well, here it is. Today we want to look at live the crucified life by a proactive, progressive process. By a proactive, progressive process. It's a process. And I'll give you the answer of what it is. It's no reckon yield. That's the process. But I want you to think, why do I say it's a process? It's a process because these aren't steps to mark off. Okay. It's a process that you grow into. Um, these are truths that we're going to look at that we need to relish them. We need to renew our mind with them. We need to 
move them around in our minds and our hearts and press into them. This is a process. It's something that you learn. It's a learning process and it's a living process that you put it. So when I say no wreck and yield, these aren't things to mark off on a to-do list. Secondly, it's proactive. I put proactive in there because you need to be involved in your sanctification. So this idea, some people teach no wreck and yield, and they, they teach it in a way that they label it, let go and let God. So a lot of people, when they struggle with sin, they get convicted, and maybe you've been in this pattern. You, you get convicted, and so you pray, Lord, take it away. Lord, take it away. Lord, I hate this. Lord, I, I, I know this breaks your heart. It's breaking my heart. Lord, take this away. But that's passive. That's, that's letting go and letting God that somehow I pray about it, and then I just wait for him to deliver me. Okay, that's passivity. That's not proactivity. Sometimes let go and let God comes across as read more Bible. Okay, if you just, just you need to read more Bible. And if you just read Bible, and somehow just reading more Bible, you're going to get convicted and stop sinning. Now, don't mistake what I'm saying. The Bible is critically important. Okay, we're going to see that. It's going to be one of the uh, parts of this process. But if you are just passively reading the Bible, expecting more Bible is going to liberate you from your sin. No, this, is a pro- this isn't about passivity. It's about proactive. You've got to get in there and fight. You've got, to, you've got to analyze your life. You get, you've got to look at, way. okay, why am I sinning? When am I sinning? And, and what in Christ will free me? So it's proactive. It's a process. It's proactive. But it's also progressive. What do I mean by that? That this is a lifelong process. Again, some people will teach Romans 6 and what I'm about to teach you, and they will teach it as though once you do this, you'll be sinless. You'll be you, you will be spiritual. You will have arrived that somehow if I take this lesson and I put it into practice once, it'll be fine. No, it's progressive. You don't grow out of it. What I'm teaching you, you don't grow out of what we're about to look at. But you can grow into it deeper. And you can learn more. I know more about this process. I understand more because I know more about myself and my own sinfulness after a couple decades. Okay? I know more about God and His truth. I'm, I'm not teaching this, this chapter the way, exactly the way I have taught it in the past. Why? Because it's a progressive learning process. But you don't grow out of it. Okay? So, what is that process? What is this proactive, progressive process. It begins with no. That's the first. No. No. Let's look at Romans 6, uh, 6 through 10. If you look at your Bibles, look at verses 6 through 10. What's the first thing that Paul says in verse 6? Knowing, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with. So that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. So that's the first no. Then there's this transition. Now, if we have died with Christ, 
We believe that we shall also live with him. Verse 9, what's the first word? No, knowing that having been raised from the dead, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death no longer is master over him. For if the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. And the implication is forever and ever and ever. So there's the idea of no. Now, the first thing I want you to notice about Romans 6 is that knowing is central to the crucified life. Look at verse 3. Verse 3, he says, or do you not know? And then look at verse 16. Do you not know? So ignorance, not knowing, is, is deadly to killing sin. You, ignorance is bad. But look at verses, verse 6. He begins, know this. So don't be ignorant. Know this. Verse 9, know this. Verse 8, we believe this. So we know it and we believe it. And then verses 9 through 10. So knowing is critical. What are we to know? Two things, two basic truths. First truth is this, knowing that your old self, literally the Greek is your old man, your old self is dead. And we learned from last week, what is death? It's not extinction. The old man is not extinct. It doesn't, it's not like it no longer exists. Death is what in the Bible? Separation. Amen. Man, that's awesome. Death is separation. So you are now separated from its power to rule over you. Now, in verses 6 and 7, Paul packs a lot in the short verses. He wants us to know what is dead. He wants us to know why it's dead. He wants to know why it matters. And he wants to tell us what it all means. So he just, he lays it out. What is dead? First of all, what's dead? Our old self was crucified. Our old self. What is the old self? What is the old self? It's your old, it's the old man in Adam. In Romans 5, he had just talked about all of humanity is under two heads. We're either under Adam who fell and is a slave to sin. Or you're under your head is Christ who died to sin once for all and rose from the dead. Now, that's all of humanity has one of two heads. Okay? So we all started out under the old man. We are, we are a part of Adam. Fallen, sinful, condemned to die. The wages of sin is death. But that old man, all that we are in Christ. So that if you want to take note... What is the old self? What is the old man? All that you are in Adam. What you formerly were in Adam. Everything that you are. That, that's the truth that kind of pressed in on me today, think, or this week, thinking about it. It's not just one aspect. There's not like just the sin nature, this one aspect in me. It's all that I am. Every, all, the way I thought, the way I felt the way I looked at things, all of that has been crucified. Now, crucified is important. 
because crucifixion is a judgment death. It's not a happy death. It's not a death in your sleep. The old way of life has been sentenced, judged, executed, carried out. It is dead. It is judged by God. And who took that judgment for me? Jesus. Jesus was crucified with him. He took that judgment. All that I was and all that I thought and all that was always pressing away from God. All that's been judged. And it's dead, which means I'm separated. The old self is not lifeless. It's not a corpse. It's not just laying there. I'm your old self. Don't worry about me. I'm just dead. No, it's very active. You're just separated from it. You're separated from its control and power. Now, why is it dead? Why did God want to crucify our old self? It says, in order that the body of sin is rendered powerless. So there's the idea. I'm separated from its power to control my body. Now, why is the body important when it comes to sin? Why is the body important when it comes to sin? Real simple answer. What? That's how we sin. All sin is coming through the body. The body's not sinful. Don't God is not rejecting the material body. It's just that the sin and the sin nature operates through the body. Whether that's inner thoughts that are sinful, whether that's uh, the eye gate, what we see, the ear gate, what we hear, uh, the hands, what we touch and what we fondle, our feet, where they take us and where we go. All of that comes through the body. But the good news is sin that dominates our body is now rendered powerless. It's powerless. I don't have to sin anymore. Why is it dead? Secondly, what is the result? He tells us the result is we are no longer slaves to sin. So what's dead? The old man, everything that we were before Christ. Why is it dead? So that our body is no longer controlled by sin. What is the result? We are no longer slaves to sin. Sin is no longer our master. And what does it all mean? He tells us in verse 8. He says, Now if we have died with sin, or died with Christ, we believe that we shall also, I'm sorry, For verse 7 is the result, for, or the explanation. I'm sorry, explanation. Verse 7, For he who has died is freed from sin. That's what he's trying to get to. He's trying to get to verse 7. This is what happened. This is why it happened. This is the result. And this is what it means. He who has died is free from sin's control. Now that is a liberating truth. I told you my friend Tom, he had to go to seminary and pay thousands and thousands of dollars to learn this truth. You just heard it for free. You... Feel free to take me out for barbecue or something if you want. But 
he who has died is free from sin. Here's the bottom line. Sin is no longer your master. You are no longer a slave to sin and your old way of life in Adam. Now, as I go through this lesson, I want you to see that Galatians 2.20 has all this truth in one verse. And so how does Galatians 2.20 begin? I have been crucified with Christ. Know, know that you're dead to sin. Secondly, the second knowing is knowing that your new self, the new man, is alive. The new man is alive. You now have the ability and the power to do God's will. And that's in verses 8 through 10. So let's read 8 through 10 again. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing this, that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he now lives to God. He walks in the newness of resurrection life. So let's break this down. We get a transition in verse 8. And he's really emphasized in verses 6 and 7, know that you're dead in Christ. Now, in verse 8, he wants to make a transition and say, well, you're dead because you're united with Christ, but Christ didn't stay dead. What did he do three days later? He rose. So if you're united with Christ and he died, that's real for you if you believe in Christ. But there's equally real, there's a union with his resurrection. Okay? And so he, eight is a transition. Union with Christ means being identified with both his crucifixion and his resurrection. That's verse eight. Then he comes to verse nine. Now this is what you need to know. Christ is risen and will never die again. Death is no longer his master. So the idea is, the wages of sin is what? Death. And if Christ suffered death and rose, death can never grasp onto him again. Death is no longer something to be feared. This is why we're celebrating Tammy's dad's life. Because in Christ, this is a celebration. Because death is just a momentary, eyes shut, eyes open, presence of Christ. Okay, so Christ is raised. Death is no longer his master. And then he comes to the... Expl- well, let me read this. Revelation 1.18. When we think about death and Christ and his resurrection, listen to Revelation 1.18. The ascended Christ says this about himself to John on the Isle of Patmos. I am the living one. I was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. I am large and in charge of all death and judgment. I have conquered it. Isn't that beautiful? That's our Lord. Now he comes to an explanation. Now he says, here's what this means. Christ died to sin once... For all, but the life he lives, 
he lives to God forever and ever. That's where we should be living. If you're a believer in Christ, we don't live in sin any longer. We live for God. Are you with me? So it is so... It's not just hypocritical. It's, it's, it's totally opposite. It's, it's, it's in fact impossible for a believer to keep living in sin and be content in that. How can you do that? You can't. You can't because you are united with him. Now, obviously, we still sin or he wouldn't have written. He wouldn't have to write this to the Romans if there's not a struggle. But he's trying to show how spiritually contradictory it is to think that I can profess Christ and in and be baptized, buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection, and then to walk forth and just continue in habitual sin. Again and again and again and again and again. And how many professing Christians don't even go to church? Don't even darken the door of a church? This isn't... No, no. Christ died once to God forever. So this is what we know. So here's the bottom line. God is now your master, not sin. You are his servant, not sin's servant. And we move on to Galatians 2:20. I was crucified with Christ. There's know that you're dead, but look, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So he's move Galatians 2:20 is moving you through these two things you need to know. So, here's what I'm challenging you to do. Here's what God's Word is challenging us. Begin each day knowing two things. The old self is dead. Sin is powerless to dictate my day. Know that you are alive to God. You have the power, you have the ability to live not only not sin, but live positively for God. Is that good news? No. Two things. Now, that's the first part of the proactive progressive process. What's the second part? Reckon. Reckon. So live the crucified life. You've got to know two truths. Dead to sin, alive to God. Reckon. Reckon this to be true of yourself. Look at verse 11. <coughs> this is a command. So he's moved from what scholars call the indicative, which are facts. You are dead to sin. You are alive to God. You don't even have to do anything. That's just a fact in Christ. Now the command is, verse 11, Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So you know it. Now reckon it, okay? Uh, I like how uh, John Stott, great uh, Bible expositor now with the Lord, he put it this way. We could put it this way. If Christ's death was a death to sin, which it was, and if his resurrection was a resurrection to God, which it was, and if by faith baptism we have been united to Christ in his death and resurrection, which we have been, 
then we ourselves have died to sin and risen to God. We must therefore reckon, consider, regard, look upon, count ourselves to be dead to sin, alive to God on the basis of united with Christ's baptism and resurrection. That's what reckon means. Consider it to be true. Now, what does it mean to reckon something? It doesn't mean I'm going to believe what's not true. It doesn't mean I'm going to pretend this is true, even though it's just made up. No, what it means is this is a reality in Christ. If I am in Christ, then this is true of me. And I need to reckon it that way. And you reckon it by, it's a, it's a mental process. This word, it's a beautiful reckon this. It means, folks, you got to think about it. You got to start your day thinking this way. And you got to roll it around in your head. And you got to remember it. I got to know I'm dead to sin. I've got to know that I'm alive to God. You got to reflect on its reality. Christ died. Over 2,000 years ago, that's a reality. He ascended. I trusted him, and the Spirit applied that and baptized me into Christ. I underwent the picture. I hope if you're a believer here this morning, you've been baptized. I, I went down into the water, and I came back out of the water. This is true of me. This is true of me. I mean, really, for the last couple of weeks... I, I, I have just been encouraged again that this is true of me. I'm talking over 40 years in Christ. This much knowledge, this much, this much, not even a, a distance between two fingers of what I was doing as a 17-year-old, to now this much. And yet the reality is infinite. We need to keep thinking through these truths this is a present tense command. Keep reckoning, beloved. Keep reckoning. By faith. This is a faith. And faith is, faith is only as effective as what you're trusting in. And what are we trusting in? The finished work of Christ. By faith, consider these two truths to be as real in your own life as they were in the death of in the burial, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, I know I'm dead to sin. Lord, I know that I'm alive to you. Today, I trust in that reality. Today, I reckon it true of me. Today, I'm going to walk in newness of life. It'll change. It'll change how you live. And so we reckon. And what does, what does Galatians 2.20 say? I've been crucified with Christ. Know that you're dead. Nevertheless, I live. Know that you're alive. And the life which I now live, I live in the flesh. What? By faith in the Son. I mean, Galatians 2.20. I mean, the reason I'm doing this is I want you to see this is all throughout your Bible. This is, remember I said this is rooted in the gospel. So you, you will see this throughout the Bible. And in Galatians 2.20, Paul is simply walking us through Romans 6. It's amazing. 
And what's the third part of the process? No. <coughs> what's the first part? No. Second part? Reckon. Audra? Yield. So let's say it again. What's the first? No. Reckon. Yield. Yield. So yield is verses 12 through 14. Here's his conclusion. Look at verses 12 through 14. Therefore, do not let sin, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. And in the old King James, it says, do not go on yielding the members. Most modern translations translate that word present, and that's accurate. Yield gets to the meaning of it. But present or yield yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So, again, we got to break it down. What does it mean to yield or present something? As, as I said, yield, no reckon yield. That's how I learned it. That's, that just sticks with me, and it just seems to it, it rolls off the tongue a little more than no present, no reckon present. Okay, no reckon yield. Okay, what's it mean? It means Paul tells us what it means in verse sixteen. Remember, if you keep comparing scripture with scripture in context, the Bible will eventually explain things and you don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to know Greek. You don't have to know Hebrew. Are those things great? Yeah, and they're great for especially those who are called to vocational ministry. But the Bible will explain it. So what's he say in verse 16? Do not, do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience that's the idea of presenting it's to go before a master here's how i think about in the old testament god would say moses moses and what would moses say here i am your servant listens abraham abraham here am i your servant listens Samuel Samuel here am I your sir they were yielding they were presenting the master speaks your word is my command that's the idea of presenting and here's the reality beloved here's the reality that every person in this room has one of two masters either sin leading to death or God leading to life and every day, you're yielding your body to either sin, who's a deadly, cruel, enslaving master, or you're surrendering yourself to God and to His Son who loved you and gave Himself up, yielded Himself for you so you could yield yourself to Him. I mean, that's... That's just amazing. So, in a sense, if you really want to get serious, no reckon yield to your master. No reckon submit is the idea. Uh, what does members mean? It's the individual parts of your body. It's Remember, we said sin works through the what? The body. And so, the members of your body, 
or not only your, what are the obvious members? Eyes, ears, mouth. A lot of sin comes out of our mouth. Eyes, ear, mouth, hands, feet. But also the inner parts, your thoughts. You know, it's just your whole capacity to sin. So the thing you really want to be surrendering is where does your habitual sin come through? What is it, the eye gate? Is it the ear gate? Is it the thought gate? Is it, what, is it something you're doing with your hands that you oughtn't be doing? Is it something that your feet are taking you to that you shouldn't go to? What, surrender all of yourself, but particularly think about those members that you're struggling with. And then what are the instruments means? The word for instrument means weapon. Weapon of righteousness. This is, I, I just, it's, they're weapons. Your body is a weapon of mass destruction. And either you're going to kill sin with your body, or sin is going to kill you with your body. Be, so basically what he's saying, he moves into this idea and he carries it in through the rest of the chapter. The idea is, <coughs> excuse me, be a weapon for righteousness. Wield your life, your body, yield your body so that God can wield your body as a weapon for righteousness. And so in this passage, you have two negative, in, in, in this part of yielding, there's two negative continual commands. And you see it in verses 12 through 13. There's two do nots. And they're present tense prohibitions, which means stop. You're doing it. Stop letting sin rule over your moral body and stop surrendering your members to sin as weapons for wickedness. And then there's one positive continual command. Instead of that, present yourselves, yield yourselves, submit yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness. Keep on yielding your resurrected self to God as your rightful master and your body member by member as weapons for righteousness. There you go. And you say, where does Galatians 2.20 end? The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who did what? Who loved me? And gave himself up. He, he yielded so that I could yield. Isn't that beautiful? Galatians 2.20 just walks you through this whole process. So what's the process? Know that you're dead to sin, crucified with Christ, but alive to God. Know, reckon it true by faith in your life because of your faith in Christ. And your baptism, by which you were united with him. Know, reckon, and then yield. Submit. Present your body as a weapon. So what, how do we put this into practice? Move over to Romans 12, 1 and 2. Because I want you to see 
that, again, this is all over the Bible. Romans 12, 1 and 2 kind of sums up the application. How do I put no reckon yield into application? Look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, all that God has done for you in Christ, to present your bodies. There's this idea of presenting your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. This is where submission is worship. And submitting yourselves to God is how we worship. Worship, which is your spiritual service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? How? By the renewing of your mind. With what? With the two things you know. Renew your mind by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is, what the will of God is. That it's good, it's good to be killing sin. Acceptable. It's pleasing to God when we live for Him. And it's perfect. We are complete. I don't need my sin to complete my happiness. I don't need my sin to mark my identity. I don't need my sin to establish my worth and my significance. I am complete in Him. You can forsake. You will be so much happier. Will it be painful? Yeah. Will it be costly? Yes. Will it, will it be easy? No. But it will, be, it will complete you. You will be complete. You will experience who you are in Christ. Now, how do you do this? Number one, dedicate your body as a living sacrifice once for all in a public presentation to the Lord in the church. You say, well, when do I do this? You did it in your baptism. Your baptism was a Romans 12, 1 and 2 dedication of your life. You're saying to everyone, I am dead to Christ. I mean, dead to sin. I'm alive to God. And I come out of the water and I'm going to walk in newness of life. You say, well, Chris, I didn't know I was doing that then. Should I get baptized again? Well, you could. But you can't keep getting baptized. You know, you're, you're baptized once. So rather than, I, and I wouldn't say don't, you know, if you feel, hey, you know what, I just look back on that and I, I just need to seal this. Okay, this is a one-time deal. But, but, the better thing or another thing is just renew your baptismal commitment by no reckoning and yielding on a daily basis. Every day when you do this, You are renewing your baptismal commitment. I know that I'm dead with Christ. I was buried. I know that I'm alive to God. I was raised. I know that this is true of me because I placed my faith in Christ. And baptism marked that decisive act. And so I yield myself to walk in newness of life. Do I need to be baptized again now that I better understand? Not necessarily. Do I have to make this commitment public? Well, you don't have to, but your water baptism was public. It was public. It should have been. And it should have been public and it should have been done before the body of Christ. Because you're dying to your old way and you're uniting with God's new uh, resurrected new creation community, the church. You You don't have to... 
be baptized again, but maybe you need to renew your baptismal commitment publicly before the church. I have not been walking in newness of life, and I now understand what Christ has done for me, and I renew my baptismal commitment here before you to know and reckon and yield on a daily basis. Do I have to do this at all? Well, no and yes. Do I have to do this as a secret to sanctification? No. This isn't, you know, uh, doing, getting rebaptized or getting baptized. None of that is the secret. But yes, you got to do this in the sense that if you're a believer, you're baptized. You, you are to be baptized. And in being baptized, you are making this baptismal commitment that I know two things. I'm dead to sin. I'm alive to God. I'm reckoning it true. I have trusted Christ and I will continue to trust Him as I yield my life to walk in newness of life. So there's the idea. Let me end with this. Oh, I'm sorry. That's just the dedication part. That's just getting the dedication part sealed. Then renew your mind daily with this so that you so that what you know about the crucified life renew your mind daily with what you know consider these truths as true of you <coughs> as you reckon them true by faith and then according to Romans 12:2 be transformed rather than be conformed as you yield your members to Christ I have this quote in your, your notes. William Tyndale, one of the early uh, first translators of the Bible from Greek into English, he wrote introductions to each of the books of the Bible of the New Testament. And here's his introduction to the book of Romans, his conclusion. Here's his last words before you start reading the book of Romans that he translated. Now go to, reader. Remember that Christ made not this atonement, that you should anger God again. Neither did he die for your sins, neither died he for your sins, that you should live still in them. Neither cleansed he you, that you should return as a swine unto your old puddle again, but that you should be a new creature and live a new life after the will of God and not of the flesh. That's a good word to end on. Amen? Hey, let's live it this week. Let's live it this week. Father, we come and we acknowledge that if you don't reveal this, we don't know it. And now that you have revealed it, we are often still ignorant of what we should know. But Lord, we're, we're, we're no longer ignorant today. We, we know these truths. Reckon them to be true. May we reckon them to be true this week, right now, right now, each day this week. Let's get up in the morning and let's reckon these truths to be true of us in Christ. And Lord, may we yield our lives, all that we are, as weapons of righteousness, not wickedness. In Jesus' blessed, resurrected name we pray. Amen. Amen. What are we going to do this week? No wreck and yield. You got it.